All right. Good evening, everyone. I see a, I see a few comments, so I assume everything is good and well. Um, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we will be furthering our study in this great epistle that Paul wrote. And um, I look forward to what we're going to learn tonight. Um, but before we get started, um, I think it's just good to um, just quickly or briefly give an, <clears throat> uh, a breakdown or an introduction to this chapter. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. <clears throat> the first um, 13 verses, um, verse 1 to 13, we're going to be looking at the mystery of the body of Christ and how this was revealed through the gospel. So the ministry that Paul had in sharing the gospel to the Jew and the Gentile, primarily to the Gentile, um, and how this um, resulted in the body of Christ as well. So we'll look at that in verse 1 to 13, and then in verses 14 to 21, Paul is going to pray for the, these Ephesians, and it's a prayer for spiritual strength. You'll remember in chapter 1 as well, um, Paul finished off that chapter with a with a long prayer for them as well. So that's our breakdown. These just these two simple divisions. And um, yeah, before we get into it, let's just have a word of prayer together. Lord, we come to you and we we thank you that we have this privilege of um, studying your word, Lord. I thank you for these faithful students. Um, we're always here, willing to learn and to grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, we, we thank you for the beauty of your word and um, Lord, that it is it's such an assurance, such a, a book full, filled with peace and reconciliation, Lord, and unmerited love, Lord. And um, thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you that we um, are able to study these things and grow thereby. And um, Lord, I ask that you please Help me, please bless me, Lord. Um, I am weak, Lord, but I know in that you are strong. And through that, you will be glorified as well. And we ask for your blessing and um, that your spirit will guide us through every verse. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Ephesians 3 and verse 1. Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Now, Paul says, for this cause. Now, this cause is a cause that he spoke about in the end of chapter 2. And we remember from last week, this cause is the cause of building up the body of Christ through the gospel. We saw how he spoke for, um, for a long time, those last few verses of chapter 2, about how God reconciled Jew and Gentile together in one body, this temple that's built up with these lively stones, as you'll remember. So the cause is the building of the body of Christ through the gospel, bringing Jew and Gentile together in this new group called the saints. So he says, for this cause and the furthering of it, I am imprisoned. That is why Paul is imprisoned, for furthering this cause of spreading the gospel. I find it interesting, though, that Paul says, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I think... Um, this is a way for Paul, in a way, to apply Romans 8 verse 28. If you're familiar with Romans 8 verse 28, 
it says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. So what Paul is essentially saying by saying, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he's, he's practicing what he preaches in that he admits that even in the state as a prisoner, remember he was a prisoner in Rome at the time that he wrote Ephesians, that even in this state, Christ can still be glorified by using Paul's bonds for good, even in that situation. So I, 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 I see something beautiful in the fact that he's saying he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. By saying that, he also mentions that he doesn't consider himself to be a prisoner of the state. Rather, he knew that his bonds were for serving the Lord and it had a bigger purpose to fulfill. So um, the purpose, obviously, of this great ministry and even in his bonds, writing all these letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, um, writing these letters, which we still now have and are such a benefit to all Christians um, who study it. And so this purpose we'll also see that he expands on in verse 2. Verse 2, if you have heard of the dispensation of grace, um, of the grace of God, which is given to me, given me to you word. So this dispensation uh, is a way, I believe Paul is using the word to say, almost in a way to dispense, in other words, to give or a gift. So Paul is saying that this dispensation, um, Paul knew that, this ministry, the sharing of gospel to Jew and Gentile, bringing them together in Christ, this ministry was given to him, gifted to him um, by grace. Um, and that by that grace, he is made a steward to these Gentiles. Um, we know that from, from Acts um, chapter 9, verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, speaking to Ananias, um, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, speaking of Paul, to bear my name before the Gentiles um, and kings and the children of Israel. So to bear God's name, Christ's name, before the Gentiles. So we know that it is something that God gave him. God called him for it. God saved him for this purpose. And that's, that, that was dispensed to him. And I think the lesson we can all learn from this is, um, to find ourselves living in God's calling for our lives, regardless of the cost. So Paul was living in God's calling for his life, yet he was imprisoned for it. So just because we find ourselves persecuted or down or um, whatever situation we find ourselves in is not a sign that we are necessarily outside of God's will. It may very well be a sign that we are inside God's will. And so may we all find ourselves pursuing what God has called us for and any imprisonment that we face can then be viewed in the same light as what Paul viewed his imprisonment imprisonment and imprison he's imprisoned for Christ for Christ's glory and God is going to use even such a situation for his good verse 3 um, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery but I want you to read verse Four, uh, four and five so skip the brackets and sorry skip the brackets and jump to verse four so let's read verse three how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit what is this mystery verse six that the gentiles should be fellow heirs 
of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now this mystery, as we saw now in verse 6, um, is that the Gentiles are included in this new covenant. They are no longer exclusively Jewish, these covenant, this covenant. It is now a covenant made with Jew and Gentile in Christ with the saints. So he was building up to this second half, in the second half of Ephesians, as you'll remember, as he went through Jew and Gentile, where he used words like household, fellow citizens, holy temple. That's the words that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 2 to, to build up to this point, um, that these two groups will be brought together in one body, the body of Christ. And that was a mystery, right? But we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. But in a, um, an advanced discipleship, um, this mystery is called um, the body of Christ. And in there, the, the, the description is summarized as how God made it possible for Jews and Gentiles um, coexisting as one entity. That's how Pastor Mike summed it up. Jews and Gentiles, how God made it possible for Jews and Gentiles to coexist as one entity. Now in verse 3, it says how he made how that by revelation, how that by revelation, um, the things that pertaining to this body of Christ was not known in the Old Testament, but was revealed to Paul. You can turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter one, just a few pages to the left, Galatians chapter one and verse twelve. We studied it relatively recently. But yes, Paul speaks about this revelation. He says, verse twelve. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught, but by the taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, this gospel, this ministry, um, this bringing together in one body, was taught to Paul um, by direct revelation um, of Jesus Christ. And then, that, and you can turn back to Ephesians chapter three, the end of verse three. It says, um, "As I wrote afore." In few words. Now we're not sure um, where Paul wrote of this. Um, it may be in another letter which we don't have access to, but it might be a reference to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9 where it says, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good good pleasure which he hath purposed. In himself, so it, it could Paul could be making a reference to this what he mentioned earlier in verse nine of chapter one, um, but we are not entirely sure. Um, but he had made mention of this mystery of the body of Christ before to these Ephesians. Now Ephesians three verse four, um, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So when you read. What I am writing, you can understand um, what I, my understanding of the mystery of Christ. Now, when Paul speaks of the mystery of Christ, it's a, it's a slightly overarching term or overarching way of referring to the three, um, three of the seven mysteries which are revealed in the New Testament. Um, this is a group of mysteries, if I could put it like that. Um, these three mysteries apply to all those who are in Christ. And that's why it's called the mysteries of Christ. Um, one of these mysteries is the mystery of the body of Christ, which is what Paul is referring to right now. Um, but the other two of the three 
is the mystery of the indwelling Christ, which you can read about in Colossians 1 verse 27, which is Christ in us, um, in you, the hope of glory. And then also the other mystery, which is um, in this group of mysteries, is the mystery of the rapture, which we know, of course, um, the rapture only applies to those who are in Christ, as we learn from 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, where it speaks about those who are in Christ who will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye to meet our Lord in the air. So those are also a mystery that is conditional on the in Christ um, aspect. But um, the rest of these seven mysteries, I encourage you to study them again in the advanced um, discipleship course, because um, they are very important for every New Testament believer to understand. All right, verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, in the beginning where he says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. That's essentially a definition of what a mystery is. Um, a mystery is something that was not previously revealed to the sons of men. That's why it also speaks about the prophets here. These prophets in the Old Testament did not know of this mystery. Um, the Spirit of Christ revealed these great mysteries to the church um, I want you to open to to First Peter, First Peter chapter one, um, and um, here's another reference to what Paul is speaking about here: that this mystery was revealed not to the prophets but to the church. So First Peter chapter one and verse ten, it says, "Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently." who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So it's a future thing. It's the prophets searched diligently and they inquired about this, but it was something that they didn't fully understand. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it is testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Verse 12, unto whom it was revealed, um, that not unto themselves, but unto us, did they minister the, the, um, the things, which are now reported unto you um, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So we see there that it was something that was not revealed. It was a, a foreshadowing. It was something they could only taste or prophesy and kind of look through a glass darkly at these things. But now it's been revealed to us through those who preached the gospel. And that is obviously the apostles. And so the New Testament church, which came when the Spirit of God at Pentecost came, the church started, and that's when these mysteries started being revealed. And that is what Paul is referring to, and that is revealed through the gospel. You can keep your place in First Peter, but turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, so both verse 5 in, in Ephesians 3 and First Peter 1 um, are, um, sorry, I lost my place, um, support the teaching of progressive revelation and hence the importance of rightly dividing. We can see in Ephesians chapter five, uh, 4, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, that if we do not rightly divide, we may read something into the Old Testament or wrongly understood something in the New Testament or apply New Testament theology to the Old Testament. So it's important to see that God progressively reveals things as time passes. 
For example, salvation, the body of Christ, the rapture. All these things are not explained in the Old Testament as we have it now. The prophets only searched. They inquired about these things. They, they, they knew something like this was coming. For example, salvation um, was salvation was not by faith alone and Christ alone in the Old Testament. It was it included sacrifices, obedience to the laws, and all those types of things. Um, it was a different time, but God now reveal has revealed more to us in Christ. These mysteries have been revealed, and um, you'll find types of salvation in the Old Testament, pictures of it but not doctrinal statements, not theology as we have um, in the New Testament. Um, this is also, as you study in basic discipleship, this is also the reason that um, certain statements that Jesus made differs from statements that Paul made. Um, because it was a different dispensation, it was a different time, things were progressively re revealed, and a great revelation came when the Spirit came down at Pentecost, and um, the gospel was started being preached and this body of Christ and all these things started coming into place. That's why you'll find a difference in the message of Jesus and Paul. All right, verse 6 of Ephesians 3. It says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This is essentially a summary of what we've already discussed um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. So I would refer you back to that. This is a, a good verse where Paul concludes saying that we are both fellow heirs and of the same body. It's basically a summation of this mystery of the body of Christ. And um, because of this glorious mystery, um, we read in, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, 1 Peter Chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. It says, But we are, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Speaking of the church, these people who were called out and um, into from darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, it's because of this glorious mystery, this mystery of the body of Christ, that we are this chosen people, this holy priesthood, that we have been called from darkness into light. And um, as it says in, in verse 10, um, we are now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. That is all because of God. It is all because of this mystery of the body of Christ. All right, verse 7. We'll turn back to Ephesians and leave Peter. Um, chapter 3, verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister. So Paul was made a minister of this body of this gospel um, because of I just want to make sure is my connection still good if someone could maybe just comment because I see it says poor connection
Yes, okay, thank you. Um, all right, verse 7. Um, it says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of grace, um, the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So he was made a minister of this mystery. Um, it started, this ministry of his mystery, started um, in Acts chapter 9 verse 15, as we read earlier, where God called him miraculously on the road of Damascus. And um, But when did this outreach truly start to the Gentiles? It started in the first case when Peter actually went to the house of Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10. Um, and um, I want you to read in Acts chapter 11. So turn to Acts chapter 11, what the conclusion was. Acts chapter 11, um, Peter concludes by, by saying how the, the Gentiles um, are now included. Um, so this is when the outreach to the Gentiles started. Acts chapter 11 um, and verse 1. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So it started there that when the Gentiles also received the word of God, but the actual ministry of Paul where a, a, an outreach to these Gentiles started was in Acts chapter 13. You can turn there, Acts chapter 13. This is on Paul's first missionary journey um, when he was with Barnabas. Um, Acts chapter 13 and verse 46 Acts 13 verse 46 says, Then Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, that's the Jews, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So there we see Paul and Barnabas making a shift, saying it was necessary that you hear this, but from now on our focus will be primarily the Gentiles. So in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, when Paul says, I was made a minister, he's speaking about the ministry he had to the Gentiles of sharing this glorious news um, that the Jew and the Gentile are both included in this body. Now, something that I want to mention on made a minister. No man can make himself a minister of God. It is God who calls, enables, and puts us in the ministry. Keep your place. Look at um, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy um, chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I want you to see what he tells Timothy regarding the start of his, of his ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and um, verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, right? For he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7, we read, He made me a minister. No man puts himself in the ministry. It is by God who enables. And it is by God who calls. And it is also God who sustains 
that ministry. But notice, he's looking for faithful men. Faithful men. We see that in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, back in um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. His power not only saves, we saw that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, where it speaks about that this power of God is the power which saves us. But it's not just that. It's also the power that makes ministry possible. No man should stand on his own power whenever he's in the ministry, whatever he's doing. And I think as a general theme, each one of us has a calling, a ministry. Where you are, what you're doing is something that you're supposed to do for God by the power that he gives you. Because every Christian has a function, a ministry prepared for him by God. And God will empower his children to perform it. But as we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he's looking for faithful people. That's what he says about Paul. Faithful. He enabled me, who counted me faithful to put me in the ministry. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, oh, sorry, I should have told you to keep your place in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I just want to read you a verse here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. In First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, um, just after he spoke about God putting him in the ministry, um, we read in verse 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and, inju and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He says he was before a blasphemer. Now, he also mentions that he was the the least. Um, verse 15, he says that, that he was, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world um, to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. Now, you could say that Paul is this is false humility in verse 8 where he says, I am the least of all the saints. Because if we look at Paul's life, if we look at what he did for the ministry, for the gospel, he was certainly not the least. Um, so some may say this is false um, humility, but perhaps it's just simple honesty. Because Paul understood the fact that he had this ministry purely by God's mercy and by God's grace. It was nothing of himself. He calls himself the least because he knew who he was outside of Christ. He was a rebel and a persecutor. We read that now in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. He was a persecutor of the church. And so he knew that was his state outside of Christ before Christ miraculously came and saved him. And so that's why I'm saying this statement of whom I am the least of all the saints... Maybe it's just pure honesty. Because I think we fail to compare ourselves to the ultimate standard. And rather we use other people as a reference 
hence making our estimation of ourselves higher than we ought. We think higher of ourselves because we look at others and we judge ourselves according to that standard. Whereas Paul maybe had the right reference point is to say, before Christ, I was a persecutor of the church. I was sinful. I was dead in trespasses and sins. This was my state before Christ. And so if he uses that in God's holiness and his sinfulness as reference, he says, I am not worthy. I am the least of all the saints. So let us like Paul and John and all these other apostles seek for God to increase and us to decrease. Now in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, it says at the end of the verse, it says the un to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches in Romans 11 verse 33, it speaks about his ways of past finding out. Um, and um, Albert Barnes, a commentator, wrote the following. He said, there is no more emphatic expression in the New Testament than this. It shows that the heart of the apostle was full of admiration of the sufficiency and glory that was in the Savior. That he wanted, that's to say he lacked words to express it. And that he considered it to be the, the highest honor to be permitted to tell the world that there were such riches in the Redeemer. You see, Paul's focus was right. He saw the greatness of God, the unsearchable riches. These ways are past finding out. Paul saw that and he counted it an absolute, absolute blessing and grace of God that he was allowed and able to have this ministry. Now, my question to each of us is, how do you feel about Christ and your knowledge of him? Do you feel satiated? Do you feel saturated? Because if so, you do not know him. The more you, the more you see, um, seem to know him, the greater your awe of his greatness should become. The more you seek to know him. I find that so true for myself. The more I understand God's word, the more I grow in my knowledge of who God is, the more I realize how little I know and the more I want to know, the more I want to seek him, because the more I get to know him, the greater he becomes to me. And the more my heart gets changed and filled with his glory. And so the more you know him, the more you want to know him. Verse nine. And to make all men see what is the fellowship. So this is part of the purpose of this mystery. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So this one secret thing, this mystery of the body of Christ is now common. It's fellowshipable. That's what, that's why that word is used. It's fellowshipable. It's common to all men and not confined to a class, a race or a people. It's no longer confined to Jew or Gentile. It's all those who are in Christ and it says, from the beginning of the world, hid in God. That's simply a definition of a mystery. It was known by God, but it was hid by God up to a certain point when it was revealed. And that is what a mystery is. So the body of Christ was part of this predestined plan and revealed in Christ. The last part of the verse, which says, who created all things by Jesus Christ, um, it may seem a little bit out of place um, because it's speaking about this fellowship and the mystery 
um, from the beginning of the world it was that was with God and it says who created all things by Jesus Christ. As much as it is true, we have it confirmed in many other places in Scripture, in John chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, in Hebrews chapter 1. We have all these references made to that. But, but I think Paul mentions it specifically because he wants to make the following point. As God created through Christ, right, the creation, so too did he create this plan of the body of Christ and extending the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world through Christ. So when God created the universe, he also had this predestined plan because he has foreknowledge. He had this predestined plan of the body of Christ, which he also created with Christ in its center. Christ in its center. Now verse 10, it says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. It says to the intent. In other words, what was the purpose, God's purpose, in revealing this mystery? It's to show the principalities and powers the wisdom. And as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 8, the wisdom and prudence. It's to show this wisdom of God through the church. So that is, the, that is the purpose. That is why God revealed this mystery. Or one of its reasons is to show his wisdom um, to these principalities and powers. But how does that work? How does God show his wisdom and prudence um, through this mystery of the body of Christ? Um, well, you see, God's purpose in creation has never been to simply show his power and might. Okay? So in creating the universe... We see God's power, we see his might, we see that side of God. But in creation, he also wanted to reveal his character. And in simply creating the universe, that character of God cannot be fully revealed. And so that requires a system where people can accept or reject him and interact with him. That's how we, that's how we get to know God's character, by having a relationship with him. By having a choice to reject or accept the grace which is in Christ. And so there exists something like morality and free will. In order for God to, um, to show this wisdom and prudence of his character. But with free will obviously comes rebellion. Hence a wise plan, which is what's spoken of in verse 10, was required that works to regenerate or recreate a rebellious, undeserving creature. That is us. Uh, you can only rebel if you have a choice. And because we are rebellious against God, God can reveal his character, this wisdom of his plan, by accepting Jew and Gentile, by reconciling people to God, by reconciling people to each other. Creation by itself can't do that. But by God's wisdom in this predestined plan of the body of Christ, this plan or this character of God can be shown. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he hath purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So using the church as a vehicle for God to show his omnisapience. So God, omnisapience is all wisdom. It's all wise if I could put it like that. So God uses the church that's what it says. According to the eternal purpose which he had purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
which he revealed through the church, verse 10. So using this as a vehicle, God shows um, his omnisapiens. Um, and he shows that it has always been a part of his plan. And then it says at the end of that verse, in Christ Jesus. You remember from Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3. So far we see everything is conditional on in Christ. This whole plan has and will always have Christ at its center. Christ at its center. Verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now, in whom, that is in Christ, we have boldness and access. Now, every person who comes to Christ in faith can come before God at any time. At any time, that, that, that's your boldness, I want to say, we have. But it's conditional in Christ. And that's why I want to say it's not in self-confidence. It is in Christ-confidence that we can boldly approach the throne of God. We know from Hebrews chapter 4, um, verse 15 and 16, verse 16 is very well known. Um, but in verse 15, before verse 16, it says the following, For we have not a high priest. Okay. Now, in the Old Testament, the high priest was needed to go and make intercession, to go and pray on behalf of um, the, the, the nation and to confess their sins. Right, And so they, they went into the holiest of the holy in the presence of God. And then there they confessed the sins of the nation. Now we have a high priest, okay, Jesus Christ, which, which uh, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So Christ can be in the presence of God eternally because he is without sin, where he there confesses our sins and intercedes for us. But not only does he have the power to forgive us of that sin, and to plead our case before God, he also knows how it feels to be a man. He knows how it feels to, to be tempted. And so because Christ has that, I want to say, sympathy with our situation, yet he has the power to do something about it, we can have access, but boldly, because he understands, because he cares. And that is a wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have in Christ and that's why I'm saying we don't approach this throne of God with self-confidence, because what self-confidence do we have? Um, what, what, do we, what can we point to ourselves and say, God, this is why you must accept me? We only have Jesus Christ. And so we approach in Christ confidence. And um, on this Christ confidence, you can actually see it in this verse. We see at the end of verse 12, it says the faith of him. It is the faith of Christ. It, we saw that in Galatians as well last week. That it is by this faith of Christ that we are justified. But it is also by this faith of Christ that we can boldly approach the throne in um, the confidence that we have in Christ. In verse 13, it says, Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, these tribulations, so these people, these Ephesians knew um, of Paul's beatings. They knew of his imprison imprisonment, which he mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 3. They saw him mocked and persecuted in Ephesus when he was chased out there. Um, and now he tells them not to be discouraged by this. 
but rather to glorify God. And at first glance, it may seem, why, why is he saying this? It makes no sense. And I think Paul's answer would be something in the lines of, let me remind you, you are in Christ and all these promises are your part because of the ministry God gave me. So Paul immediately would point them to say, look at the mystery that's revealed to you. Look at the fact that you are in Christ. You are eternally secure. All of these promises are your part because of the mystery God gave me. You are a part of God's beautiful predestined plan because of the ministry God gave me. God can now use you to show his wisdom and the riches of his mercy because of the ministry God gave me. You can boldly approach the Father, the Creator God, through Jesus, because of the ministry God gave me. Then he says, please don't faint. That's to say, be troubled or disheartened because of my small trial for this great cause. As, because as Paul wrote in Romans 8 verse 18, the glory is much greater. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul is saying this suffering for the great cause. If I look at the big picture of how God called me, how this ministry was sustained by him, started by him, how God used me, how people are getting saved, how people are eternally secure. Please do not faint or be disheartened because the glory is so much greater. Now in verse 14 um, to the end, Paul is starting his prayer for these Ephesians. So let's read verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this cause. In other words, because you might be close to fainting, which he just mentioned. Um, in other words, because you're so weak and worried, I pray for you. That's why Paul prays for their spiritual strength. It's a prayer for spiritual strength. Look at verse 16. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might of his spirit in the inner man. Look at verse 17. That Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith that you're being rooted and grounded in love. You see, it's, it's something, it's a prayer for stability. It's a prayer for strength. That is what Paul is praying for them. Um, verse 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So I'm praying for you. Who are you? The whole family which is named in Christ in heaven and earth. All those who have been adopted into God's family by Christ's merit. That is the family. This adoption that we spoke of in Ephesians chapter 1, that's his family. And those who have passed, the dead in Christ, if you would want to call it that, those are those in heaven. And then it says also, and those who remain, those are those who are in earth, uh, in earth, on earth, um, no matter where they are, in heaven or earth, no matter from what nation they are, um, converted, whether Jews or Gentiles, they all have one name, one Redeemer, and all belong to one family. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 4 and just read verse 46 with me. It says, There is one body. And one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. 
That is the family. We are all surrounded by this truth that we are all in one. We are all in Christ. And that's the unity theme of the book of Ephesians. And it's because of this family, or it's this family that Paul is praying for, for to be strengthened. So now he starts his prayer in verse 16. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. So Paul's prayer, you'll see throughout his epistles, are always for the welfare and growth of other believers. Even when he reprimands them, it's because he wants to see them grow. It's because he wants to see them bear fruit. So the focus of his prayer is the strengthening of the believer that they would not faint, that they may endure the trials and remain steadfast, as you'll see in verse 17, grounded, um, that they may um, remain steadfast and grow in Christ. Paul's focus, however, is not the believer, but God, our source of strength. So you'll see he focuses on God and not on the, on the person. How that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. Paul's focus is God when he prays for their strength. Um, and then it also says, oh, I hope. Your focus, I hope my focus, is the same. That when we are weak and humble and dependent, that God can prove himself strong um, by strengthening you in the inner man. But it starts by you realizing that your strength is not you. It is God who strengthens you. When you are weak, he is strong. So that state of humility and dependency, that's what Paul is praying for them, that they would realize that it's by his spirit, it is by God, his, his riches, his love, that we can be strengthened. I think often so many times we focus inwardly and not so much at God, the one, the source of our strength. Your spiritual strength is a function of how much you yield yourself to the work of the spirit in your life. I'll read that to you again. Your spiritual strength is a function of how much you yield yourself to the work of the Spirit in your life. And I think we should all keep that very near to our hearts whenever we feel weak or whatever situation, we must know that it is in that those humble dependent states that we can be nearest to God. All right, verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. This is our assurance and our confidence that nothing can shake the love of Christ toward us. Paul expounds on this love in verse 18 and 19. He says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes all under Paul knowledge, <laughs> all knowledge, um, and that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Paul prays that that God would grant them this comprehension. He says that they would comprehend in verse eighteen the knowledge which will help them be immovable to comprehend the love that God has, and this love is great. He expounds on it so much in verse 18 and 19. We'll look at that now. But um, 
I just want to mention something here because many people are tossed about in their faith because of um, because of feelings. They they judge their faith or on feelings and not on facts. Facts don't change. If God has said something, if a thing is a certain way, your feeling about it doesn't change it. Now, I'm not promoting that your faith should be this clinical, rigid box-like um, faith. But it sure does help knowing truth when feelings fluctuate. Have a look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. Just a few pages to the right. And I want you to notice the, the steadfastness, the stability. It's similar to what Paul is speaking about here in Ephesians chapter 3. So in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5 it says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now notice the connection between the steadfastness and verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding therein in thanksgiving. As you have been taught. I find it interesting the connection between your knowledge and your steadfastness. How you've been taught certain things in the faith. How you know certain things that are revealed. And because of this, there's established, there's a steadfast, there's a, a taught that is spoken of here in Colossians. So things like knowing that you are part of the body, um, that you are adopted into his family, and that you are held tightly by the love of Christ. And then in Romans 8, there's a great passage at the end of Romans 8, how nothing can separate us from this love. And knowing those things, when your feelings fluctuate, you need to hold on to the truth of God's word, the things that he has said over the things that you feel. Back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 Still speaking about this love of God by which we are held and strengthened. It says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Now, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, you'll notice those are four dimensions. Now, typically, whenever you speak of anything in our sphere, human sphere, we speak of three dimensions. So... This puzzles my mind a little bit, but I, I think there's something beautiful in it. And that is that there is a dimension to God's love that is out of this world. There, it, it surpasses the norm, right? It surpasses this norm of three dimensions. There's a dimension to God's love that, that we, that I want to say, astounds us. And a love like this, a love so great beyond our comprehension is the love that leads to the peace that also surpasses understanding. Knowing that you are so loved and held so dear and nothing can separate you leads to that peace that also surpasses all understanding. This is what Paul wants these believers to find their stability and their strength in. This love of God. I also made a note here in my Bible about the length, the breadth, the width. Um... I would say the breadth is all people. It's wide. The length is from eternity past to eternity future. His love always stands. And the depth of this love is for the worst of sinners.
what Paul spoke about himself, who is the least of all the saints. The depth of the depth of sinner can be saved by this unsearchable love of Jesus Christ. And um, it just also says in verse 18, it says, with all the saints. And I think this love um, between the saints needs to be shared um, because we are all partakers of Christ's love. And therefore that love needs to be mutual between all of us. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passes but passeth knowledge. Do you see there? It passes knowledge. It, it, it's a dimension which we can't understand. It is, it's greater than anything we can fathom. And that's why we need to be strengthened by that. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That says the fullness of God. Now, I don't think this means that we would ever grasp all the attributes of God in his entirety. But to grow in the knowledge of his love to such a point that we are filled till overflow. This, we are completely saturated by the love of God, completely overwhelmed by this love of God. And being filled with that, we can overflow and share this love with all the saints, as it speaks of in verse 18. And this fullness of God dwelling in you is a result of a dedicated yielding to the Holy Ghost and the Word and the Word. So the Holy Ghost and the Word and meditation on God's abounding love. So knowing and meditating on God's love for us, shown through Jesus Christ, um, revealed in the church, um, meditating on that, growing in it through your knowledge of Scripture and the, the Holy Spirit working that Word in your life. Because of that, um, you are able um, to to experience this fullness. I am terribly sorry, but for some reason, my battery is running low. I do not want to lose you, so give me one minute. All right. Um, I find it interesting in, um, in this verse, it speaks about verse 19, it says... Um, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. If you look at Ephesians 4 verse 13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto the perfect man, unto the measure, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have the fullness of God. Here we have the fullness of Christ. Have a look at Ephesians 5 verse 18. Here it says, See um, then that you walk circumspect... Uh, sorry, what verse? 5 verse... 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Full, fullness of God, fullness of Christ, filled with the Spirit. Um, Paul desires for all believers to be as filled and saturated with the fullness, the Godhead, the Trinity, as possible. And so that's why he mentions it throughout the book of Ephesians. All right, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Now, this may be a very familiar verse to you, but um, I think it's fitting if you think of the context. After, after meditating on the love of God and seeing its transforming capacity in the believer's life, it is almost natural 
to conclude this. If you looked at this great love, it's natural to say now unto him who's able to do because his love, his peace, everything just surpasses knowledge. So unto him who's able to do abundant is exceedingly above what we can ask or think. That's a natural conclusion from this love. God's ability to work in and strengthen the believer goes far beyond our comprehension. God's love and care for an undeserving sinner like me goes far beyond my comprehension. So too his ability to save someone who we may never deem savable or too lost goes beyond our comprehension how God can save that person. And um, may we never forget that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above because of the great love wherewith he loved us. Now, because of this ability to far exceed what we think is possible, Paul goes to verse 21, because of this ability to far exceed what we could ever think, unto him be the glory in the church by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Unto him be the glory. There is no one else to glorify, no one else to give credit to, but God who worked this plan through Christ and in so doing, revealing the greatest love ever seen. So this is the greatest love that we have ever seen. Man, the world has ever seen is through this revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that that there is no one else to glorify. No one can take credit except God. This truth will be the reason for eternal glory. It speaks about all ages, world without end. It is this great love with, with we are loved that we will forever glorify him, forever thank him. And his glory will be filled for eternity because his love is eternal and it never changes. And then it also says in verse 21, Unto him be the glory in the church. Now, in the church, it's not just the individual, but the whole church collectively should glorify God. For without him, there is no church. May we as a church always strive to be centered on God's glory. Always. Christ as the center, just as Ephesians 1 to 3 has Christ at the center of every revelation, every salvation, every prayer, every plan, everything is Christ at the center. So may we as a church forever glorify God. That is the purpose of the church. May we never seek to glorify man or ourselves, but to lift God. And when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. So now we finish chapter 1 to 3. And um, this, as we said in the beginning of our study of Ephesians, this is the doctrinal part of Ephesians. And um, in chapter 1, we saw the plan of salvation. In chapter 2, we saw the power of salvation, how God is able to reconcile God and man, how God is able to reconcile um, Jew and Gentile. So there we saw the power of salvation. And then in chapter 3 today, we saw the purpose of of salvation and the purpose is this one body the show of his wisdom and his grace to have this boldness in prayer 
and um, also to be strengthened and stable for his glory. That is the purpose of salvation. So the power, so the plan of salvation, chapter 1, the power of salvation, chapter 2, and the purpose of salvation, chapter 3. Paul is now going to, in chapter 4 to 6, change his focus a little bit to um, the practical side um, from the doctrinal side. You'll see that even in the first verse of chapter 4, you see, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And that will be your attendance verse for the night. Ephesians 4 verse 1. A prisoner of the Lord, that you walk worthy. So you see his focus in chapter 4 changes to your walk and not um, just the doctrinal aspect of things. But we'll, we'll, I'll give a brief re review when we start up in July, when we continue with Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I was blessed by this, this lesson, definitely, in studying it. And um, may we find ourselves stable, strengthened, secure, um, because of this eternal hope and this great love wherewith we are loved for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful message. Thank you, Lord, that we can boldly approach you always because of what Christ has done in us. Um, this wonderful plan, Lord, that we can be included in, in this and have an eternal hope, Father. What a blessing. Thank you for your love, Lord. May we never think that we are have attained anything, Lord, but that we would glory in you and that we would ever grow the more we get to know you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your salvation. And thank you for your love. Please bless us in this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.